The pandemic drove the need and demand for self-storage. In fact, it almost, I think it drove it to a sort of a false demand or a temporary demand because you know, everybody moving out of the office back home and having to clear out a space, you know, to work in the office or the kids are home and couldn't go back to school or whatever, and they rent units to put their stuff in. Well, they're starting to go back to the office and going back to school. So they're, they're taking the stuff out. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape Wall Street and invest on Main Street, build wealth on Main Street, build financial independence on Main Street through real estate investing. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Terry Campbell. Terry is a self-storage expert, market-leading expert with nearly three decades of experience in the self-storage industry. Today, he is the president and CEO of a remote self-storage management company. And today we're going through operational upsides that self-storage investors can experience when they buy their properties correctly and utilize remote self-storage management as a principle in their business. We go through how the upside in self-storage works generally, the mistakes, the most common mistakes that self-storage investors make that can get them in a lot of trouble and leave a lot of money on the table and so much more. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's one of the the guests that, frankly, I love talking to the most that you wind him up and let him go because he has such knowledge in his brain that he's sharing with us today about how the self-storage industry works, where the upside is, and so much more. You guys might want to listen to this one more than once. He's going to throw so much information at you today. And if you're interested in the self-storage industry, there's just a ton to absorb in this discussion. So you're going to really enjoy it. I know I enjoyed it. A lot of information. It's going to be great. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. For those of you who don't know, we're here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, where we can help you escape the Wall Street Casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Once again, our guest today is Terry Campbell. We're talking about self-storage, remote management, and generally how we find upside in the self-storage business as real estate investors. Let's go. Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation that we haven't recorded for about a half an hour now. And I'm excited to get some of this in the can, learn more about you and your investing and everything along that. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background in self-storage, can you tell us about what you do, where you're coming from, all that great stuff? Sure, be glad to. And thanks for having me. I, I appreciate the invitation to be here. Well, I have been in the self-storage business as of January 3rd this year. I've been in the self-storage business for 28 years. I started in January 3rd of 95 at a self-storage building manufacturer in North Carolina called Betco Incorporated. And I sort of grew up there, not just in the industry, but I grew up, I was like 28 years old when I started working there. And I started as a drafter and an estimator. And as time went on, I grew th- grew up in the company. I, when I left, I was executive VP of operations and VP of sales and marketing. So learned a lot about the industry and just life in general, you know, while I was at Betco. But I, I left Betco to go to Wilmington, North Carolina, to start a the self-storage lending team at Live Oak Bank. And that's what we did, SBA loans for self-storage. That's all my team did was self-storage across the whole country, all 50 states, U.S. territories. 
when I left there back in April of last year, April 1st of 2022, we had done right at a billion dollars in self-storage loans. So that was quite an accomplish, accomplishment. We had a very good, strong team there, and they're still doing a, a fantastic job. And I left there to become partner and CEO of Copper Storage Management. We do third-party remote management for self-storage. That's, that's all we do is remote management. And as I've I mentioned earlier, it's not the way of the future anymore. It's the way of the present because we can save so much money on OPEX and you know things are tighter and tighter and it's harder to find people to work and harder to find managers on site. So, you know, the unmanned model, we call it unmanned, but it's just really remote management. That is really becoming the, the way that becoming, it's becoming more and more popular, but it's going to continue to do so just for those reasons I just mentioned. And even the big guys, you know, Extra Space just made a big purchase this year, 500, I think 590 million for a portfolio in the Indiana, Illinois area that were all remote managed and because they know that's something they need to be involved in. So that's their first foray into it. But that's my history in self-storage. Been married 35 years to the same person. We have two daughters, three grandkids. Awesome. Well, that's great. I appreciate the summary and congratulations on the grandkids and everything around that. I love talking about the operational upside in self-storage. Whenever folks ask me about self-storage investing, that's one of my favorite things to kind of home in on where we have an opportunity to create value. And I'd love to dig deeper on where your business, you know, kind of works in the process, helps people with their, you know, management problems and the types of problems that legacy, if you will, self-storage owners have who maybe a little more management intensive than they need to be in their self-storage business. So let's dig a little bit more into just what remote management of self-storage is, and then we can talk about, you know, potential upsides that owners experience. Sure. And, you know, we, we find, like you said, that sometimes there's an intense over-management by some people, and then there's ones that are completely the opposite, polar opposite, and that's where a lot of the values are. But as far as remote management, you know, like I said, it, it's the term had been and still is used quite often unmanned, but we like to use remote management because there is no completely, nobody's figuring out how to make a facility facility totally unmanned because you still have somebody that you need to do some maintenance or to turn units over and stuff like that. So we call it remote management. And and what we, the sort of the way we do it is, you know, we have, there are several different elements that are very important. One is, one is the call center. You know, if you don't have someone on site, you, you still need to have somebody that's available for the customer to talk to. You, you know, you still got to have somewhere they can make contact with somebody. So basically what we've done is take that manager out of the facility and put that manager at home and in front of their computer and on the phone. And they're able to, you, you would know this yourself, that a self-storage manager doesn't get much work. I mean, they just don't. If a facility's full, I mean, there's nothing for them to do. You know, 10% of the time, maybe they're doing something. And it's not because they're lazy or bad people. It's just they don't have anything to do. So we've taken that person and put them, put them you know, in, in their home. They can manage several facilities very well, a single person. Right now, the way we've got it set up in our call center, I think we've got six or seven facilities per call center agent. And I think we'll be able to do even better than that. We're, we're working on some other technology pieces that's going to make that even better. Our AI bat chatbot that we just implemented recently that we're using that is already showing that it's drastically reducing calls. So it's going to increase the number of facilities that our call center agents can handle. So there you're taking that expense that you would have normally had and spreading it in over several facilities and you're automatically dropping 
the the cost associated with it. And and you know, if you take a manager out of a facility and offset it with a, just a little cost for that remote management model, you're dropping that savings to the bottom line and increasing your your value Im- immediately. I mean, one of the facilities we bought overnight, I think we increased the value by over four hundred thousand dollars just by removing the manager out of the equation because, you know, of the OPEX. So that's one of the important things that, you know, you have to do. You also have to have a what we call a boots on the ground. You know, we always locate, find, train, manage what we call a boots on the ground person. They're local to the facility who can take care of minor maintenance issues. They can clean out the units, get the, the units ready for the next tenant, you know, by putting, we have a welcome bag. It's got a lock. We put a disc lock in the units. So everybody's using the same lock. They will cut locks and, you know, once a month, put a, put overlocks on. They'll cut locks for the auction. They'll upload pictures for the online auction. So, you know, we, we have a boots on the ground person for that. We use an overlock system called DaVinci locks. I don't know if you're familiar with DaVinci or not, but they're combination lock, a combination disc lock that you, you put on the locks that, you know, have it paid. And when this person does pay and wants to get back into their unit, they're automatically texted and emailed a code to put on that combination disc lock to open it and get into their facility and get into their unit. So, you know, by by using the self-storage software and then the software for that lock system, it all integrates very well. And you don't have to have somebody go out and let them in. It's all done automatically. So, you know, we, we do, that's a couple of the things that we handle. We handle the revenue management. You know, that's a very important thing for every facility is you got to make sure that you're keeping your rates where they belong, doing specials when you need to, increasing rates when you need to, you know, hey, we're 100% full. Well, your rates are high enough. Let's get those up. So we take care of the revenue management. We, we handle the website and digital marketing. For our folks, we, we use a company that specializes in, in large groups like ourselves. I was mentioning, you know, we've currently got about 167 properties under management with headed towards 200 this quarter. So, uh, you know, that, that's pretty important. Having that, that website and digital marketing and these guys, you know, we have basically, we have a master policy, not a policy, I'm thinking insurance. We have a master website. And all the websites for all the facilities we manage manage go under that. So they benefit from an SEO perspective. The bigger we get and the more we have, the, the more SEO presence that helps to to drive. The, the, the lean process, you know, I mentioned the overlocks. So if you've got somebody that hasn't paid, we handle the overlock and the lean process. You know, that's that's one of the things that, that, that still amazes me how people, either they don't have auctions or they, they don't know what to do or they do it the wrong way. It's one of the ways you can get in the most trouble is by a wrongful sale. So we use a, a product called Lake to Lean. There's a couple out there, AI Lean, Lake to Lean. And they handle the lean process. It's not very expensive. And it makes sure that everything is done per that state's requirements and make sure that, you know, somebody that we're doing an auction on doesn't have a bankruptcy because you can get in big trouble over that if you sell a unit that's in bankruptcy or they a soldier or, you know, what's, what's the situation there? So we make sure that everything's done right to keep everybody out of trouble, the owner and ourselves. So, you know, those are a couple of things. Tenant insurance, that's something that a lot of people are, there's a couple of things that people seem to be afraid of. One is pushing rates, pushing rates. They want to be 100% full. And it's like, man, you should never, ever be 100% full. And I'm going to give a quick little anecdote here. When I was at Live Oak Bay, I had this following conversation several times, but this one really stands out to me. 
is there was a guy who called me. He had a facility. He was, he was, it was a 500 unit facility and he was wanting to buy another one there in his market that, that came available. And so I said, tell me about your, your facility, your background, what's going on. So he said, I got 500 units. I'm hundred percent full. And I stopped him right there. So why are you hundred percent full? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, you should never be hundred percent full. And he didn't get it. I said, if you're hundred percent full, you're not charging enough. He said, well, I want to say 100% full. I don't want anybody moved out. I sleep better at night. I said, okay, get your calculator out. And so I said, let's assume you're going to, you haven't raised rates in how long? He said, it's been years. And he said, really, I've never raised rates. I might raise street rates, but I've never raised rates on anybody. I said, okay, let's, and he was below market rate. I said, let's just assume you're going to raise your rates five bucks a month on every unit. Okay. How many people are going to move out? He said, well, I said, or is anybody going to move out? He said, no, you're probably right. Nobody's going to move. I said, nobody's going to move out for five bucks. I mean, if, if they do, you're just making room for the next person to come in and, and at a higher rate. And so five bucks times 500. I said, what's that? He said, 2,500 bucks. I said, 2,500 bucks to the bottom line every month, just by raising that rate one time. And all you had to do is send out a notice that you're raising rates. I said, multiply that by 12. And he said, wow, that's 30 grand a year. I said, now divide that by, I think it was six and a half or something cap rate, whatever the cap rate, it was between four and five million, four and five hundred thousand dollars worth of value that increased by raising rates one time, five bucks per month. And I said, so, and, and he said, yeah. you know, can I call you back? I said, yeah. You can. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that really drives me nuts is when I see that. That's the other thing. Like I said, people are afraid to push rates and, you know, you can always come down if you want to, but, but you never know until you, you raise it. But the other thing is tenant insurance. People are afraid to require that. And we require it on every facility we manage. We, re we require it on every facility we own. And that can be such a good thing on so many different levels is just, you know, for one, the protection, an extra layer of protection between you and that, that tenant, even though your agreement's going to say you're not responsible for anything, you know, they're going to come after you if something happens just, just because they don't want to be out some money. So if you, you sell them that tenant insurance, you're adding a layer of protection and you're adding some income. I mean, you know, for us, the way we do it, you know, it's, most management companies don't offer an, as much as we do, but we, per, we offer 50% of the premium. So, you know, if it's 10 bucks, the, the owner gets five bucks per unit. So, you know, if you've got 500 units, that's, you know, that's, that's a good bit of money every, I mean, it's the same scenario we just, we just talked through there. It's an extra 30000 a year if everybody is, is renting it, takes it. But, you know, not everybody's going to. You give them the option to provide their own, you know, proof of insurance through the homeowners or some other renter's insurance. But most of the time, they're, they're not going to do that. And you can, and if you show them, hey, look, you know, how much is your deductible on that? Well, it's 500 bucks. Well, there's no deductible on this. So why, you know, why do you want to waste your money? So, you know, we go through that. We, we make sure everybody's got the tenant insurance in place. And try to maximize their value. So, you know, between all those things that, that we do and handle, it's to maximize the value for our customer and not just in monthly income, but also in, you know, the value of the facility. So that's, that's our, actually our core focus is it's right here written on my wall, create value for our clients by providing cost-effective and innovative remote self-storage management. So that's our core focus. And that's, that's, that's what we do, what we, we live for. But we, you know, our model was de designed and developed based, we, we used our own portfolio to come up with the model. And then during the pandemic, people were like, hey, my manager quit or I can't get anybody to come. They're scared to work. Can y'all help us? So that's how the third party part really started growing. And now it's, it just continues to grow because people see it works 
And when people doubt it works, you know, I give the scenario, this, this can be some good, you know, things to think about for people listening to the podcast is just an anecdotal situation here where we had a facility. We sold our portfolio last year and the, the, the smallest return I got was like 160% return. The best I got was 280%. And that facility, I'll give you some of the details to point out why this is a good business, how it's, why it's such a good business, how you can make money, and also how this model helps to drive that is we bought a facility in eastern North Carolina, I'm sorry, eastern Tennessee, that it was kind of a rural market. And we bought the facility. It had a manager, which the, the previous owner forgot to tell. They didn't have a job. So we had to, <laughs> to we had to let them go the first day. And and boy, she was mad as a hornet. And it's like, hey, my husband is the chief of police or something like that. So I hope that you never need the cops here because they're not coming. And all this stuff you say you're going to do is not going to work. People aren't going to pay. You know, we make everybody use credit card. There's no cash or checks. And you lose virtually nobody. And she said, nobody's going to go for that. It's not going to work. And then you say, you know, you see that most people say, oh my gosh, thank goodness. I can pay with a credit card now. So <laughs> you know, put everybody on credit card. Let's see, we, we enforced tenant insurance. We stopped allowing fees to be waived, late fees and other things. We increased rates like they were supposed to be. So bottom line between removing the expense of the manager, doing all these things that I just mentioned, we bought that for 1.375 million. And 18 months later, it appraised for 4.2. And I think we sold it for four as part of the portfolio sales. That, that to me is a very good example of how, you know, it is over the, it's, it's a very top end example, but it's an example on a larger scale of, of how self-storage is a great opportunity, a great investment to make money with, without much. I mean, as an owner, if you were to, to say, you know, hire us to manage it for you, you won't have to do anything. I mean, you're, you really don't have to do anything if we manage it and, and we can also handle your bookkeeping and you're really hands off at that point. So to be able to have what you call passive income, doing it in that manner, it's, I mean, I tell you, if it wasn't for self-storage, I wouldn't be worth a nickel because, you know, that's, that's what I do. That's what I've always done. I'm a, my wife and I are partners in seven self-storage facilities. So we don't just talk about it and I don't just offer services as a vendor. I mean, we buy facilities actively all the time because it's just, and, and, you know, you'll, you, you probably know this and, and it's a very common thing that, you know, once somebody does get one facility, they don't stop at one because they see that the opportunities are, are so great. I mean, I've, I've got one laying on my desk. I've got to look at that somebody sent me yesterday. That's an hour from me. It's a little, you know, little small town. It's not being managed at all. It's, it's hundred percent full. I mean, it's a, it's a ripe opportunity for the taking. I just got to look at it and see if, you know, the price is right. You know, these days prices are coming back a, a little more in line than they were for the last two years. The last two years in self-storage has been like trying to buy a house the last two years. You, you know, you got 50 people <laughs> trying to buy it. You got three backup offers that are cash, you know, right behind yours. So you got to make sure you, you get everything done, your due diligence done in a timely manner, that you close on time or you'll lose it. But that's starting to ease off a little bit. We're starting to see prices come down a little bit. And I think the last one we just, we bought you know, not long ago, came down $600,000 or something like that from what they were trying to get the previous year. So they're, they're getting more realistic, but you know, the ones, the best ones, obviously are the, the value adds, you know, if you can find them, they've not been managed properly. They, they don't have tenant insurance. They've not done rate increases. They don't have a website. You know, there's, 
lots of value adds that you can do to a facility to make it worth a whole lot more money and, and, you know, bring in some that monthly income, you know, when, you know, you get six or eight or 10 of those and, and you got some good cash flow coming from each one. That's a nice little, you know, monthly mailbox money. Absolutely. Wow. So there's so much there. You're, this is my, you're my favorite type of guest where I wind him up and let him go. And he's got so many interesting and informational things to say. So I love that. Something that I, 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 it was a little while ago that you were talking about it, but I'd love to dig in a little bit more deeply is about the liens and different laws and mistakes that people make. Cause I think it's kind of oftentimes a little bit of a throwaway things, thing that people say that, oh, if they don't pay, just slap a lock on there. You sell it. It's fine. It's no big deal. And well, compared to eviction laws and residential real estate in some states, it's simpler because it's lien laws and everything like that. But it, there are many mistakes to be made. And I just love to dig a little bit more deeply into the types of mistakes that people make with those yeah. liens and, you know, locking the units when people don't pay. Well, just just not following the state. Each state is different in their processes. So if you're not familiar with them and you, you, you either don't do them right or you don't do them at all, they both can bite you. I mean, sometimes you've got to, some states you actually still have to run an ad in a paper. I mean, because of the, the newspaper lobby are able to make that a requirement. It is becoming less and less where it can just be done online. But if you don't properly put a notice out there that there's going to be an auction, that's a problem. Sometimes people don't, you know, they start the auction process, but they, they, they are not paying attention that if, if somebody makes a payment on online, it, it'll show up in the software. But if you've got the, the, the auction process started and you didn't see that 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 they've they've made that payment, you could still go through with that auction, and they've already paid, so you just did a wrongful sale. And and I can assure you, if there's a, a you know a hundred dollar rug in there, it's now a ten thousand dollar Persian rug that that was in. Because <laughs> it's gone now, you have no idea. So they're going to try to sue you for that. You know, I've seen situations where there was just, just what I just described. They made a payment two days before the auction date, and nobody caught it when they didn't catch it. So there was a wrongful sale. And, and that's, that's also one of the things that's very important from my perspective about the tenant insurance. Cause if you require tenant insurance and, you know, first of all, in your lease, typically every state that I know of, it says $5,000 is the most you can put in your unit that you're saying you will not put more than $5,000 of value in this self-storage unit. And if you buy tenant insurance, and a lot of times people are going to cheap out and buy the cheapest thing they can get. They're going to get, you know, the $2,000 policy. And if they do that in a way they're declaring, that's all I have in this, this unit is $2,000. So, you know, if you've got somebody that, you know, had a $2,000 policy, signed an agreement and said they don't have any more than five, but now they're claiming they had $15,000 worth in that unit that was wrongly sold You've got a little bit of a leg to stand on there because, okay, the agreement said five. Tenant insurance, okay, you've, you've kind of declared, I don't have more than 2000 in there. So, you know, coming from that perspective, then you can, you know, you can negotiate with them. But when uh, those, those lien processes, lien law, that's why we use that third party because there's so much to keep up with, especially since, you know, if you had a facility or a couple of facilities in one state, it won't be as bad. You, you can get to know what they are and, and do them right. But for us, we use that service because we have so many states we cover and, you know, these things could change at any time. So we want to make sure that we're going by the, the correct and latest lean process as far as the law is concerned. Okay, 
Great. Well, I mean, there's there's so much there, and it's a, I think it's something that again people kind of have a little bit of a, a throwaway mentality that's so easy to do, and comparatively, it's not as bad as evicting, but it's there's yeah. still laws that that need to be followed. So when it comes to the amount of like opportunity in the market, years ago, <laughs> I think there were a few surveys that indicated a pretty still significant portion of the self-storage market is owned by what I say mom and what I call mom and pops. You could say one-off owners. I think there's a lot of terms for it, but but you get the point. That was a little while ago. We've seen a lot of institutionalization and rolling up of the market and all that kind of a thing. What do you see out there as far as, you know, the the percentage that's owned by the mom and pops, the legacy owners, whatever you want to call them today in 2023? Yeah. And, and yeah, we do call them mom and pops or you could say non-chain, non-chain, non-REIT, that sort of thing. But yeah, mom and pops is a good term. It's still very similar to what it's always been. You know, it was, it was 75, 80. It's still going to be somewhere in the 70, 75% range, I think, because you still have, you know, a, a lot of the new stuff coming on is institutional. A lot of it's private equity groups, but there's still, there's still lots. If you talk to some of the building suppliers, there's still tons of, you know, the smaller single stories or, or the, the smaller projects being sold to those mom and pops. I mean, they're, they're increasing their amount of square foot, just like the other guys are. So it stays relatively similar. Now, one of the changes I think that we're seeing is some of that secondary market things that, you know, projects that was always mom and pops, the big, the bigger companies are starting to buy in secondary markets because the, the major MSAs are becoming so tough and some are getting, some are oversaturated, the rates, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to try to expand our, our market share by going into the secondary market. So there is probably a change where the mom and pop percentage is going down a little bit. But a lot of the sales of the mom and pops are just like, you know, between all of us, you know, you know, one mom and pop selling to another one and, and, and that sort of thing. But I, it's still pretty high. It's still the majority is mom and pops. They may have lost a few percentage points just because of what's going on with, you know, it's not a secret anymore. You know, everybody's wanting in on it. BlackRock, $1.2 billion portfolio they bought a couple of years ago. Bill Gates is invested with storage more. I mean. It's not a secret anymore. People know about it. Everybody's wanting a part of it. And all the banks out there want it in their portfolio because it's recession resistant. Another great reason to, to invest in it is it's recession resistant. It's, you know, it's pandemic resistant. In fact, the pandemic drove the need and demand for self-storage. In fact, it almost, I think it drove it to a, a sort of a false demand or a temporary demand because, you know, everybody moving out of the office back home and having to clear out a space, you know, to work in the office or the kids are home and couldn't go back to school or whatever. And they rent units to put their stuff in. Well, they're starting to go back to the office and I'm going back to school. So they, they're taking the stuff out. We, we are seeing that actively now is that, and have been seeing it for months, that the move outs are not necessarily speeding up, but the move ins have slowed down. And the length of stay had increased quite a bit during the pandemic. Again, creating a little bit of a of a false increase in demand is, you know, when people don't move out, there's no room for the other people. So people build more. And now, you know, people are moving out. They're not staying as long, but your population continues to increase. The percentage of the population that uses it uh, continues to increase. There's, you know, uh, more neighborhoods now with restrictive covenants. You can't park in the driveway. So you got to use the garage and you can't, you know, park your you know, car behind the garage and, or outside and use your garage for storage. Which has always blown me away. You know, people will park their $60,000 car in the driveway and put $1,000 worth of junk in the garage. <laughs> I've never, never got that. 
<laughs> you know, you can't build outside storage buildings. There's no attics. There's no base. I mean, the percentage of people continue more and more these days to to use it. So as long as the population keeps growing and as long as, you know, things like those restrictive covenants happen, people will, I mean, the, the business will still keep increasing. I mean, it was, it seems like, you know, back when I started in the industry, that what was considered the square foot per person cap on, you know, what was, could be absorbed was like between one and two square foot per person. And now it's, you know, six or seven or eight or something. You know, I don't even know what it is these days that keeps going up, but you can't even use that anymore as people used to use that as a benchmark, but you can't use that as a benchmark anymore. You, you have to look and see what does that market look like as far as the competition? Are they full and are the rates good? Those are the things you look for. It's, you know, I've seen facilities built in areas where they were 12 to 17 square foot per person and they keep building and they keep adding on because Wilmington's a good example. I think it was the last time I looked, it was over 12 and you kept building, but that's because people keep moving there. They have a college there. So, you know, there's a, there's a seasonal there, but I'm, I'm getting on a tangent there. <laughs> well, there's so much to it. And I think if anything, this, this conversation, you shared a lot of great information. Has also demonstrated that you're a wealth of knowledge, one, and two, you're very passionate about this business, both of which I certainly appreciate you sharing with us right now. But at this moment, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right. All right, Terry, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I would have to say self-storage. <laughs> self-storage is you know, like the example I gave earlier. The one that the one the one the one deal that was the absolute best was the one that we we made. I made a 280% return in 18 months. That was that was a that was extremely, I've not had a self-storage deal that was bad. I've not had one that I didn't do well on. And, and I should have added this earlier and I'll, I'll add it now is, you know, the, one of the beauty, beautiful parts of this business is that, you know, if you, you own a business, you increase the value, you do a, a, a non-recourse refi, take out that cash, and now you have no money in it. So your cash on cash return is infinite. So that is to me, how do you beat that? Good question. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Trying to make some money in the stock market. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you have self-storage, you have control on. If you own that business or you're involved in that business, you have some control on the stock market. You have no control on. And, and honestly, you don't know what to trust anymore. So That's I, true. luckily it wasn't a lot. Luckily it wasn't a lot, but you know, I learned my lesson. I, every dime, you know, even my 401ks from previous employers, I moved them into a self-directed IRA and I use that as my equity in the self-storage investment. So 
There's no tax issues. You know, I can invest that money. I know what I'm doing. I'm making good money. And when I sell, you know, if we sell it, uh, all that money goes right back in there. I don't have to worry about a 1031. I don't have to worry about taxes. It goes right back into that self-directed to use again. Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Do not get caught up in paralysis by analysis. You know, sometimes you just got to jump. I mean, you, you, you can, you want to do your homework to a certain point, but you're never going to be at a point where you know absolutely everything and, and you've taken into account everything that might happen. You just got to do your homework the best you can, jump in, you learn as you go. And then next time, you know, even more than the next time, you know, even more. You know, I've done webinars and seminars and things for, for years. And I've seen so many people that I see them over and over again at these events and they, they get, you know, failure to launch and paralysis by analysis. And, and it's like, you got to build the plane, you know, you build the plane enough to get it off the ground and fly it, but then you're continuing to, to build it as you fly. So you, you got to, you know, sometimes you just got to take a jump and the, the first one to the worst one, you know, but just don't, don't wait till that perfect time. You know, like we were talking earlier about, well, it was the perfect time to have kids. There is no perfect time. You just, you just got to do it. <laughs> and you'll figure it out. You'll do it and you'll figure it out. I love it. Well, Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there, if they want to get in touch, if they want to find you, if they want to get in touch with you, talk to you, whatever, where can they track you down? A couple of ways. CopperStorageManagement.com is our website or my email address is Terry, T-E-R-R-Y at CopperSM for CopperStorageManagement.com. That's the best way to do it. All right. Thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're building wealth on Main Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.